Welcome to Detoxicity. This is a podcast in which I try to change the narrative around masculinity a little bit and allow some progressive voices and some interesting voices, diverse voices, to come into the picture. My name is Mike Joseph. I host and produce this show, and I thank you very, very much for listening and for supporting from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot. Now, if you enjoy this podcast, I hope that you are subscribing to it. If you aren't, please press the subscribe button on wherever it is you're listening to it, and uh, that way you'll get episodes on demand when they come, uh, which is usually on Wednesday mornings. I also certainly ask that you uh, spread the word. Uh, Please rate the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen. Um, Make sure you leave a comment if you have something nice to say or if you have something constructive to say. It doesn't all have to be nice. And by all means, tell your friends, tell anyone who you think might get some creative juice or inspirational juice or just would uh, you'd like to listen to this please spread the word uh, however you can i am on social media if you would like to follow me i am on instagram at detox pod guy uh, my twitter is on hiatus for a little bit it will come back but it is tis mike joseph feel free to follow me on either of those platforms there is also facebook.com slash detoxicity and if you have a comment you can email me detoxpod at gmail.com I am always on the lookout for new guests, so if you know somebody who you think has an interesting story to tell or something to add to the overall conversation around detoxifying masculinity, please reach out to me via any of those platforms, and certainly if you yourself would like to be a part of this podcast, please reach out, let me know. Once again, I thank you for listening. So way back in 2012, I'm not even sure if I knew what a podcast was at this point, I was asked to be on a show called Completely Conspicuous, hosted by Jay Kumar. Uh, We've met online, both Boston residents, both in love with music, and I talked to him about being new to Boston and sort of going out of my comfort zone and, and living in a new area. Three years later, I was on Completely Conspicuous a second time as I was leaving Boston, coming back to New York, and I talked about my feelings returning home and my experience in that particular city. And now in 2022, Jay Kumar is my guest on Detoxicity. Uh, Jay is a journalist. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, he lives in the Boston area. And we talk about lots of things, including the state of journalism in 2022. Uh, We talk about music, which is a through line through many of the conversations on this podcast and many of the conversations Jay and I have had through our relationship. Uh, We talk about uh, being a nomad, kind of. Jay moved around a lot as a kid. We talk about uh, fatherhood. Uh, He is the father of two uh, young ladies and talks about his experiences as uh, the son of an immigrant. And um, I don't know, we go all over the place about a whole bunch of different stuff. Jay is a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy this interview. So check it out. Jay Kumar, um, I'm a podcaster, uh, I DJ a radio show, I work in uh, trade journalism as an editor covering healthcare, patient safety, and worker safety. I'm a father with uh, two teenage daughters, um, I'm a husband, and uh, I'm a runner, I'm a hockey player, I do lots of things. So You do a lot of things. I do. As most of our guests do. Yeah. I, it's so nice to talk regularly to people who are multidimensional and have many different facets to them. I feel like you were podcasting before I was podcasting. I feel like you were an early adopter. 2006, man. 
so what what brought you into that world? Because that's before podcasts were really a thing at all. I got my first iPod probably around 2004. And then I found out about podcasts because they were super early, you know, early stage, you know, started downloading a couple of things and, and just kind of felt like, well, this seems like something that anybody can do. And I'd always been a big fan of radio growing up. I've always listened. I love when you do those tweet blasts where you would go through like the top 40 of 1978 or something like that, because that's the shit I grew up on, you know? So I literally just grew up listening to radio all the time. So I just thought, what a cool thing to actually create something that people can listen to. And it's, you know, totally DIY. The early episodes sound horrible, you know, because I'm using my like, <laughs> laptop microphone and stuff, but I sort of figured it out as the years went on. Definitely not as regular as I, I used to be in producing episodes. But then I also started doing a radio show. A friend of mine has a, an online radio station uh, called in San Francisco called BFF.FM. And she moved out there in 2013 and was looking to start a legitimate studio with in-person DJs, but needed content. So it's like, would you want to produce a two-hour show for us every week? And I was like, sure. So I just slap it together in an MP3 file and upload it to their system. And I've been doing that for eight plus years now. But they've got a great lineup of, of DJs from San Francisco. It's super, you know, it's community radio, man. It's, it's great. But then there's a couple of us who have been doing it for years. There's a guy from England and there's me all the way across the country in Massachusetts and there's a few others. But most of the people are in person in the studio. If I ever got out to San Francisco again, I'd love to actually do a real show like in the studio. It'd be pretty fun. In the studio, yeah. But uh, yeah, you do that, right? Or you were. I have not been in, I haven't done a show in studio in... Two years. Yeah. Well, there you since, go. I wonder why. Since we shut down. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and the studio is still open. The Radio Free Brooklyn studio is still open, but it is a trek. Yeah. And my show now airs on Saturday mornings, very early in the morning. And I'm not awake most <laughs> yeah, days yeah. when my show airs. <laughs> so you're not going to catch me doing it. Maybe one day I'll hop on the subway, go to the studio in the middle of the night and, and do a live one mm. just for shits and giggles. But... Me in a studio at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Yeah, that's no fun. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not the move. <laughs> so are you New England born and bred? I grew up in Toronto, Canada. Yeah. I actually, I went back as you were on my podcast years ago, in yes. like 10 years ago. And then again, uh, when you- Was it that long ago? Yeah, I, so I looked it up today because I hadn't listened to him in a while. And yeah, it was 2012, you would move to Boston. So I, we were talking about sort of the differences between New York and Boston. And then I talked to you again three years later when you were leaving Boston to go back to New York. So yeah, we talked about sort of growing up and stuff. And I don't blame you for not remembering. It was a long time ago. But yeah, I grew up in Toronto and my parents were uh, immigrants from India that met in Canada. And uh, we lived- in Canada until I was a freshman in high school and my dad got a job out in Washington state. So we moved out there literally like a month into my freshman year of high school. It was just like the worst possible time to move. And then I was there for basically two years and then moved to New Hampshire. So that's when I got to New England and I've been there ever since. Yeah. I wonder what it's like. And I, I might ask you some repeat questions, Jay, cause it's been a long Dude, time. Please. It, is, it has been a long time. <laughs> What's, yeah. What's it like to, to not only, and granted, Canada, the U.S. is not a huge deal, but it's freshman year in high school. You're now in America after spending the first 14, 15 years of your life in Canada. And you're also like a brown kid being placed 
into this environment. That's got to be culture shock on multiple levels, maybe more for the people that you were dealing with than it was for you personally. Did you have any feels about those experiences? Lots of them. Although I will say that if you're not familiar with Toronto or the surrounding area, but it's super diverse up there. I visited Toronto for the one and only time so far in 2017 and had a blast. uh, But Immediately, I was like, whoa, it's not just white dudes in flannels. Right. And now, thanks to Drake and The Weeknd, we know that there are people of color in in, in Toronto. But uh, I was really surprised by the diversity. It felt New Yorkish. Super. It's very cosmopolitan. It's a much smaller country population-wise. So they really opened it up to uh, immigration in the 70s, late 60s, actually 60s and 70s, really. So, you know, growing up, my best friends were couple of white kids, Mexican kid, a kid whose parents are from Barbados, kid whose parents are from Jamaica, you know, like a kid from like Ecuador. All our parents moved there. They're all from other places and literally was a melting pot. I mean, I didn't know any better. It was kind of funny because when I first got there, the older generation of kids were the bigots. So they were, you know, calling me names and stuff, but the younger ones were all my friends. (laughs) But then I moved to Washington state. I wasn't the only brown face there because my dad worked for a nuclear plant. And basically everybody in this town were transplants working there. A lot of Indians, a lot of Laotians and um, Cambodians who came Mm. to the uh, West Coast and ended up in different towns in Washington State. Not as many Black people. There were some. But, uh, you know, I certainly wasn't the only non-white person. Fast forward a couple years later when I moved to New Hampshire to a tiny town. And, yeah, I'm the only (laughs) uh, non-white. So that's when I was kind of like, oh, boy. But almost everybody was really cool. There were a couple of exceptions, but. <laughs> and you've been uh, you've you've been in New England ever since. Yeah, when I get out of college, I was a newspaper reporter. When I got out of school, and I was like, I'm gonna work here. I got a job at the place in Peabody, Mass. The newspaper. You have to pronounce it correctly. Peabody, not Peabody. That's right. Uh, it is not Peabody. That's right. Massive pe- people in Massachusetts <laughs> have very interesting pronunciations, y'all. Yeah, they do. But I'm going to work here for like a year or two. It was like 1989, right? I'm out of college. I'm, then I'm gone. I don't give a shit about this place. I'm, I'm going to go wherever. You know, I'll go to Seattle. I'll go anywhere where there's a you know big newspaper and a job. And the economy kind of just stalled at that point. So I was stuck there for a couple of years. And then I just kind of liked it and stayed. So... I just never left. Like, I'm still here. <laughs> that is, I'm still in the same town. <laughs> that's, that, that's a rarity these days. I, mm. I find there's a, a divide between the like people my parents' age who got a job and you stay there right, yeah. until they give you a cake or a ring or whatever the hell it is to signify your retirement. And people I know now who are in their 20s who jump jobs every right. two years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, so I worked with the newspaper for like six years and I left there, got kind of burned out on it. Uh, I went to this sort of B2B publisher, healthcare newsletters, and I'm still working for that company. It's been bought several times since then. So the management has changed. Technically, my start date was 1995. I did leave for a couple of years and then come back. But no, my, you know, I've, they basically, Jay's coming up on his 27th anniversary with the company, which is insane to think about. It doesn't yeah. feel like the same company, though, because uh, we were bought by a bigger company seven or eight years ago now, and I do totally different things. My job has changed a lot of, a lot of times. I think if I was doing the exact same thing, I would have totally got out of there. But it's been good. I get offers and opportunities, and at this point, I'm kind of like, I don't want to... I guess now it's a little different because of the pandemic, because everybody's working remotely. 
but I didn't want to go work in Boston. I did that for a couple of years and it kind of sucked. So I liked being close to home, especially when my kids were younger. But things were good there, so we'll stick it out for a while and see how it goes. But yeah, there are people I work with who weren't born when I started working at that company. That's a trip right there. <laughs> what is that what does that feel like when somebody walks up to you and they're like, Oh, I'm twenty five. Yeah, it feels fucking old. That's what it feels like. <laughs> I'm like, Great, thanks. <laughs> right. Thanks for pointing That's, that uh... out. <laughs> It's dude, it's it's a trip for me and I mean I've been at my company now uh 17 years. Mm-hmm. And it, so I don't have the experience of having people that have been alive as long as I've worked there. I do have the experience of people that I work with not having been alive when I started working for a living. Right. Cuz I've been working for a living since 1991. And, you know, that's 31 years ago at this point. So, you know, there are certainly people even significantly younger than that, that, that I work with now. And it's a trip because I don't feel my age. Yeah. I don't feel my age really. Right. But the right. cultural references and, and the, you know, you'll drop a reference and these guys will be like, I don't know what you're talking about. But I feel like that kind of memory now, like it doesn't go back as far. Kids nowadays, they don't know what happened 10 years ago, let alone what happened 30 years ago or 50 years ago, which is, I'm not blaming yeah. anybody for anything. It's just sort of the way it is now. Culture moves so quick. Yeah. It, it's really funny. Like one thing, and I know you're a sports guy. One thing that struck me recently is that Magic Johnson made his announcement that he had HIV right. 30 years ago. Yeah. 30 years ago. Yeah. And I remember watching all the sports clips at the time, you know, playing it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday and kind of all this stuff. And, you know, the no one said it straight out, but the train of thought was that Magic would be dead right, in five years. Right. I remember pulling over to the side and, of the road to listen to the report. I was so shocked, you know. Right. I can remember exactly right. where I was. was yeah. yeah. And and here we are 30 years later. You know, Magic is still on talk. You know, he's on the Jimmy Kimmel show or whatever. And you're like, wow. Like, he's where did the, healthy a, where did the and, time yeah. go? The passage of time is still something that I'm kind of reckoning with in a weird way. Like, it doesn't feel bad. Sometimes when you think of it, it just feels weird. I wouldn't necessarily assign a feeling other than strange to it. Yeah, you know, I totally agree. Especially now, my oldest is a sophomore in college and my youngest is a high school senior. They're both going to be out of the house next next fall. It's weird to think that I'm going to be an empty nester, you know, but... How does that feel? It's strange. I kind of, I like having them around, but I'm also happy for them that they're going off to college and they're figuring out what they want to do with their lives. But it's also strange that, that I'm old enough to have a kid that old, you know? Although I went to school with people who are grandparents now. I actually had kids when I was, you know, little, like 35, I was... When I right. first became a dad, I had a buddy who got his girlfriend pregnant in high school. So he's a grandpa now. He probably has a grown grandkid at this point. Yeah, I mean, well, his son's probably 35 or will be this year. So he's got a, yeah. yeah so yeah. Or a teenage grandkid. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Ooh, nice. I wasn't ready for that stuff in my 20s. I wasn't ready for marriage or anything until I turned 32, 33. So everybody's got their own path. I'm trying to think of how to say this sensitively. So there are two things. There's a cultural thing that uh, maybe puts some people in a position where they get 
married and have kids a little sooner than perhaps they would like to <laughs> yeah. or should. And then there's, oops. Hell yeah. She pregnant. Oh, I think my my buddy it was definitely oops because he got married right after that. So. And it's yeah, like so that's that's some shotgun stuff. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't have any oopses. So. <laughs> there was a couple of times that I was a little worried about it. And thankfully, you know, girlfriend was late or something. I was like biting my fingernails, like oh no, God, oh. So yeah, it worked out all right. But, <laughs> but I know I mean, plenty of people have had those situations. So. No, it sounds like you went about it the right way. You went about it the smart way. And you had kids when the time was really, really right. Yeah, yeah. And is there anything that you're looking forward to about being an empty nester? Or is there a part of you that secretly like, I can't wait till we get out? I don't know. I mean, we're definitely going to go on vacations and shit. Once people can go on vacations again without fear of dying that's not stopping some people Jim. no it's not yeah uh, <laughs> it hasn't like at all at the whole time but we'll, we'll be able to do some more things me and my wife i mean we've been doing it anyways because it's not like we have to stay home with they're older yeah teenagers we know they're not gonna trash the place when we're gone or anything they're pretty chill but yeah probably going on trips and things like that that we weren't able to do before especially when we're done paying for college but we haven't had a real vacation in three years so i'm looking forward to that next summer probably overdue yeah yeah so i think we all are <laughs> yeah i was very fortunate in, in the dip right before omicron to have gotten away for a little bit oh good but i think we're all in need at this point of multiple vacations after being stuck in the house and, and doing the right thing for for two years at this point yeah man it's like never ending <laughs> yeah yep so phil the folks listening in on what your podcast is about? It was kind of a general interest podcast. I've talked to many people about many things. You and I talked about, you know, sort of cultural differences and moving, things like that. But I, I think primarily it's a pop culture thing. I talk a lot about music. I'm not doing it like super regularly, but I probably do it once a month or twice a month. I'm kind of going through uh, with a buddy of mine. We're talking about specific years in music and kind of what we were listening to. And so... We started at 1970, so now we're up to 1989 now. So we've kind of just pecking away at them. It's just fun to kind of go through what you were into. And, and there's a lot of stuff that I didn't know about when I was 22 that I've come back to. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I should have been listening to that then. So that's a lot of fun just to, you know, it's kind of, it was always a, a good way for me to have conversations with people, which I don't know if that's sort of, I, I, I kind of get that feeling from you too that you like to talk to people you know and i do too and yeah we don't have phone conversations anymore with people really everything's texting and, and email so it's nice to actually just talk to somebody you know preferably in person but since things are the way they are we can do it this way it's actually kind of nice too that you can talk to somebody who doesn't live you know you don't have to go to their house when i first was doing my podcast i'd come to your house or i'd drive to wherever but it's nice to be able to just jump on the computer and chat with somebody for an hour it's refreshing i, I enjoy the back and forth and you don't get that all the time anymore you know so it's kind of nice it is people it's kind of an interesting thing to me that we now have so many more ways to communicate than we did when you and i were young people. yeah yeah but the depth of the communication seems to have largely gone away. Yeah. And I guess I'd have to speak to somebody significantly younger than both of us to really get a feel on what that's like, because we're coming from the old school Hell perspective. Yeah. But it does seem to be, you know, when you and I were, were teenagers and young adults, you made a phone call, 
or a long distance phone call. So those long distance phone calls were valuable because right. they cost money. So you, if you had a friend or a relative that lived far away, you were talking once a week or once a month. Right. I used to write. And I used to write letters to people. Remember letters? Yes, yes I was just about okay. to go there. Was, and then the great. next thing was, yeah. sorry, if you were like me and you were a kid and you couldn't afford those long distance phone calls, and even me being in New York City, like me being in Brooklyn talking to my friend Patrick that lived on Long Island, that was not a local call. Right. So we used to write letters to each other. Yep. And that is a long forgotten art. Yeah, I used to love it. I'd have friends that lived on the West Coast, I'd just write a long letter, like two, three pages, and then like a month later, I'd get one back. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. So the whole, yeah. There's, there's a lot more to it, but yeah, it's a different time. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's a way to quantify, or if someone will come up with some kind of definitive statement on what has been gained and lost in communication through technology. Yeah. I do feel like, you know, you are better able to stay in touch with people, however, more superficially with Facebook or, or whatever. You know, you can wish somebody a happy birthday that you maybe don't see at all. You can also get into idiotic fights with people if you choose to do that. But but I, I haven't gotten off Facebook. So I do like to see what people are up to. And if people are doing annoying things, then I'll just unfollow them or unfriend them. But it's nice to stay in touch that way, especially as you get older, you just have more interest. You don't stay in touch with people least like on a, on a regular basis. So it is nice to kind of at least be able to reach out easily. You know, I think when we were our parent, or at least when our parents were our age now, they just sort of outgrew people and never saw them again and probably never heard mm. from them, you know? And sometimes I think that's not a bad thing <laughs> for some people, but it's nice to see what people are up to. So I enjoy that, having that ability to to text somebody or to message them on Facebook or even just email them. I still email people. So uh, I still email people too. Yeah. It is not a completely lost art. Oh, I mean, I use it a lot for work, but it's nice to just reach out. When email first was a thing in the nineties, I was using it all the time to just email friends because it was just like, oh, this is a great way to stay in touch with people. And then of course, after a while you stop doing it. But yeah, yeah. I, I like being able to reach out in, in different ways and I never call anybody anymore. Here's my thing, Jay. I have always hated the phone since I was a kid. Back then, I think it was a fear of the phone mm. and I'm not sure where that came from, but I've always had phone conversation anxiety. Nowadays, if it's somebody I really want to talk to, if it's a good friend, if it's somebody I have an easy conversational vibe with, Sure, I'll get on the phone. I find that a lot of phone calls are painful. <laughs> well, <laughs> the only phone calls I get now uh, are from my mother, who calls me like four times a day asking for things. So, like that's so I dread the phone. <laughs> but if there are any young people listening to this podcast, caller ID was not always a thing, right? Yeah. So when the phone rang and you answered it, you were on a wing and a prayer. That's true. Basically, yeah. Could be a bill collector, could be the police, could be mom. Could be a prank. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Could be one of the jerky boys. Right. Could be a whole bunch of different things. What's up yeah, there, sizzle that. chest? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Try and explain the jerky boys to somebody under the age of 30. Right. Real, real rough. That's like right? super archaic, right? Holy shit. Yes. Making yes. prank yes. phone prank calls. calls. Damn. Yep. Yes, indeed. Um, I'm curious... My best friend in high school, his parents were immigrants from India. There's a stereotype of, of Indian parents being 
very specifically kind of I, I don't know if it's overbearing but very strict in tradition strict, yeah strict and yeah. steeped in tradition was that the case when you were growing up i mean it was yes but it was also a little weird because my parents were both from different religions so they really shouldn't have been together they met at a wedding in in toronto he was a hindu she was a christian and if they were both in india they never would have met and their families were both dead set against them getting married so basically i was raised christian by my mom but the, the strict stuff was super focused on homework and doing well in school and not screwing around, that kind of stuff. Didn't have a lot of junk food. Just, you know, the usual parents. I feel like Indian parents are definitely overbearing and hard-ass, at least the older ones anyways. It wasn't awful, but definitely there were things that I didn't get to do. Like I remember my senior prom, they had an after-prom party. Like they didn't want kids driving afterwards. And my, my mom wouldn't let me do it. She's like, oh, you know, I don't want you driving. And I'd already had been working at supermarket overnights, working... <sighs> 9 to 6, 7 a.m. and driving home. And I'm like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why wouldn't you let me go <laughs> go to this thing? It's basically to keep kids from drinking and driving or whatever. And she was like, I don't care. And, mm-hmm. and I remember being so pissed off at her <laughs> for that. She was just overprotective. Wait. I'm like, what the hell? I, I probably could have done something much worse, you know, not going to that. But so I went to the prom, but I didn't get to go to the after party. After prom? Yeah, that sucks. Just stupid. I, you, you said something that just made me pause for a second. Mm-hmm. So you were in high school, but you were working from 9 p.m. to 7 a.m.? Yeah, it was my market basket. They used to do this thing called night cruise, and it was only on the weekends. So it was oh, Fridays and Saturdays. So they lock you in the store, so you'd right. stock shelves all night. So it was a great gig. It was like time and a half. You get to eat some food, crank some music, and you put some stuff on the shelves, and fuck off for a couple of hours and then leave. But uh, yeah, I started my, my junior year of, uh, of high school. And I worked there throughout through college. I'd come home like once a month just to make some money, but it wasn't during the week. So it wasn't like a problem with school. Although I think my mom actually made me stop working there for a while because she felt like it was affecting my grades. <laughs> I'm like, it wasn't, but I need money. You're doing it on the weekends. I mean, then how could it possibly affect I mean, I was days? working regular hours during the week sometimes, regular shifts, okay. you know, but... I don't know. It didn't make any sense. But a lot of things she says doesn't. So, you know. I mean, that's, I feel like that's what parents do. They say shit, and it, in retrospect, it's just like, what were they talking about? I like to feel I don't do that, but. <laughs> that's not for you to judge. I Jay. guess not, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, maybe one of these days you can, you know, pull your daughters aside and be like, hey, so have I ever said anything to you that's. Made no sense at all. <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely goofy around them. I'm not super strict, but they don't really push us. They never were partiers or anything like that. So it wasn't anything we had to worry about them going out and you know ripping it up or anything, right. which is nice. Obviously, you worry about, you know, the one at college now and, and she's in Montreal. So, even you know, in another country, she's gone out and stuff. But it's also been pretty restricted because of COVID too. But she's pretty responsible. So... I'm not worried about either of them. I never partied when I was in high school. I didn't drink. I was like a good student, but you know, you, you, I don't know what their fear was. But I got to college and I turned into an, an idiot. Like literally the first weekend. <laughs> Where did somebody just like shove beers into your chest? Yeah, and just like, like went to a party and started drinking. I mean, I'd had a few in high school, but I was like, ah, beer doesn't taste good. Blah blah blah. And then I was like, hey, party, cool. So. 
got got sick, you know, just you know, got back on the horse, and, and, and yeah, and then the rest is history. Yeah. So, in terms of of parent, is there anything specific that you have done specifically because of the fact you are raising two two young women? I don't know. I I guess so. I don't know what it's like to to raise a boy. I know what it's like to be a teenage boy. You know, I, I know if I had boys, what I would have told them, which is to be respectful and don't be a dick. You know, with girls, I just try to tell them to be careful, especially at college. Just gotta be smart. Don't go wandering off by yourself, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I, they were really easy. Like they'd be moody and they'd storm off and yell at us sometimes, but they're both really good kids. So I, I don't feel like we've had like super hard parenting struggles with them. Like I definitely have seen with other kids and things, but I've just tried to raise them to be strong and smart and they are smart and they are strong. A lot, a big part of that is my wife. She's super strong and smart. And so we always just try to present a unified front and try to provide a, a good example of people who get along for the most part. Always a plus. Yeah. My dad was kind of a dick. He was not a good husband or father. So I definitely learned everything about what not to do from him. He died at age 55. He didn't take care of himself. He had a big alcohol problem, diabetes, and you know. But he, even before that, he was super old school. So he was like, I get home from work. I want dinner on the table and it better be good. But meanwhile, she's coming home from work at the same time, you know, and he's yelling. And he was a good cook too. That was the worst part of it. Like the guy can make great Indian food, but he just was lazy. So I just knew that I wasn't going to be like that with my kids, you know, very distant. And I, I guess I can't really stereotype all Indian men because I don't know all Indian men, especially like I didn't grow up in India, but he definitely was a product of a family where they weren't emotionally in touch. And I, I think that was a generational thing, obviously, but I'm sure people yes. of all ethnicities can relate to that but yeah I, so i just knew that i wasn't going to be like that to my wife and or my kids so so valuable lessons at my own expense but whatever that's you got to learn from that I shit mean, right it sounds like you came out okay yeah i, I, I like to think so <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing uh to note <clears throat> is that some people see that behavior and replicate it right and you saw that behavior and rebelled against it rightly because you knew that that wasn't the right way to be a partner or a father yeah i mean you could see even as a kid he didn't treat her well and he would yell at her and us and you know get the back of the hand every once in a while and sometimes a little more he never did anything to my mom but he was just verbally abusive but i knew from a young age that i would never be like that and my my brother's the same way my younger brother's like four and a half years younger he he never drank because like he was kind of home uh, like i wasn't home for a lot of the boozing i was in college but you know he was home for that and he was like i don't want to end up like that so i'm never gonna drink so he doesn't drink sure but he's a good person and he's done really well for himself and i guess got through it and life's been good since then but it was not easy especially all the moving around and he lost his job a few times and yeah it wasn't great but you know but everybody's yeah, got that everybody's got their own you know shit to well, deal everybody's with everybody's right? got their own shit that they got to deal with but that doesn't <laughs> discount the fact that you have your individual shit to deal with mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying yep. it's like you can say everybody's got problems but that doesn't lessen what you 
have learned or what damage you may have incurred from those experiences. But it does sound like you have taken that as a lesson to evolve and to be different. Yeah. And I think back to when I was in college and I was always a wise ass. And one thing I would hear from people kind of after college is that I was too much of a wise ass. I was just like always cutting people down and I had to dial it back a little bit. I think part of it is you build up this front, like, oh, I'm the funny guy. I'm going to crack jokes nonstop. It gets annoying after a while. So sometimes it's, it's a good it's a good idea just to shut the fuck up and listen to other right. people, right? So right. Uh, so I had to learn right. that. But I've never been an angry person or anything like that. I feel like I probably could have been that way, held that shit in, but I, I don't know. Maybe that's why I work out all the times <laughs> work off the stress. I don't know. But between running and <laughs> hockey and everything else, like you're you're an athletic fella. I mean, I try. I'm not athletically gifted in any way, but I make the best of it. So That makes two of us, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> Short dudes I mean, we're unite. Also <laughs> small, I was about to say, we're small people. Yeah. I still play basketball on a regular basis, and I'm like, Mike, you're 45 years old. You've never been good at basketball. <laughs> you are the same height that you were when you were 17, <laughs> and now you're a lot slower, <laughs> and things hurt a lot more. So why are you still doing this? It's, it's fun. fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it's nice to keep the body and mind engaged. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So going into that other lane that I wanted to go into, which was music, you don't play anything, right? Like, do, are you, do you have, are you a guitar? I'm a guitar you, guy. I've got a couple of guitars. I go through phases where I'll play them for a while and then I won't play them for a while. You know, ideally I would make time to do all the things I want to do, whether it's writing or playing guitar or reading. I've got tons of books that I haven't read <laughs> that I need to read. It's just hard to find time or make time. I need to be more disciplined about this shit. But yeah, I've played guitar on and off for ever since I was in high school. So. Oh. But and not very well. <laughs> it, it doesn't make you happy, Jay. Yeah, it does. It's, it's a little frustrating but sometimes when you're playing like, man, I'm not getting any better. I suck at this. And then I'll put it down. <laughs> so I got to stick with it. So. You know, not everybody can be Carlos Santana. No, no. How did you discover, like, when did music first hit you as being like, oh, this is a thing? Which is something that I usually ask the musicians who appear mm. on this show. But you're such a music fan. I I'm curious when that button went off for you. I'll tell you, I will give my dad credit for one thing. He was a big music guy at a younger age. He kind of drifted off when he got older. But I remember listening to War. The band War. It was on the radio. I want to say it was like low rock. And I remember being, I don't know, like three years old or something, dancing around to it. And I don't remember a lot from those days, but I do remember that. I always loved listening to the radio. You remember like those little transistor radios, like a portable transistor radio you could carry around? I got one of those when I was, I don't know, eight. And I would just listen to Top 40 all the time. And we're talking late 70s. Disco was getting big. So I was big into that for a while. And then started getting into Zeppelin, classic rock, stuff like that, which at the time was only 10 years old, you know? But, right, uh, it wasn't classic yeah, yet. Yeah, and it got me through a lot of shit. Certainly, you know, moving... I remember when we moved to that town in Washington State, there were no good radio stations there. So I just was listening to records and MTV had come out like that summer, but we didn't have it on our cable system there. Okay. So I'd watch Night Flight on USA Network and HBO used to show videos sometimes. So I'd see like, yeah, they'd have like a little, you know, they'd play like one or two. Oh, wow. Yeah. I remember Friday Night Videos when that came out, I was watching that all the time. <laughs> yeah. We didn't get MTV until like 85 in by the time I got to New Hampshire, 
took them a couple of years for the cable system got MTV. So I just was watching videos anywhere I could. But, you know, in New England, in, in the early 80s, there were tons of great radio stations. So yeah, I bought magazines, you know, in Rolling Stone and Hit Parader and Circus. And I was into metal for a while. So I was getting all that stuff. And Did you I, see now, Jay, I, I am, my brain is working overtime <laughs> mm-hmm. and I am picturing you with like teased hair. Uh, I didn't tease it. Or... Or like the cutoff denim jacket. I, I didn't. Now you know. I never really dressed like a metalhead, but I sort of had the hair helmet going for a while, and then was it was it like a fro or was it like a slash kind of thing? No, it wasn't curly. Like you see, like old things of like guys from the seventies who just sort of had that mushroom head. You know, <laughs> that, that was me. <laughs> that going on. You know, just kind of. It wouldn't grow long. It just sort of grew out. But like you know, but grew horizontally as opposed to vertically. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it just was like like it was like a helmet, like the Great Gazoo on Flintstones. Okay, if you look hilarious. at my my Twitter icon, that was basically me. That was me in the seventies. I wish I could grow right. hair like that now. But yeah, I think the longest it ever got in college, but not quite a mullet, you know. But you know, they were like, style, right? I had some good hair for a while there. <laughs> <laughs> we we might have to take a walk through the various hair choices of Jay Kumar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now it's there, but. It's not as much of it, but yeah, I was just a voracious listener. So, and you, maybe even a little—I'm a few years younger than you. You grew up in a time that was so rich with music, yeah, uh, of all all genres. Yeah, like when you were kind of running through those top forties, when you do that every once in a while, I know every song and I like almost every song on those lists because I grew up with that stuff. Sniffing the Tears and Jerry Rafferty and Amy Stewart, you know, like all this stuff that these one hit wonders, but I love them, you know, so, yeah. And, And you've kept that up throughout the years. This always calls you to mind. I have a ticket stub. That somewhere on my desk, like my desk is covered in old ticket stubs, mm-hmm. and I have a ticket stub from a Gord Downey show, you know, may he rest in peace. Yeah. It must have been 2011, 2012, something like that. And I don't remember if, I think you were at the show, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize that you were at the show, and I tweeted about it afterwards, and I was like, who the fuck is Gord Downey? <laughs> And I think you schooled me on like Tragically Hit. Yeah, yeah. Which is where I should have made the Canadian connection right there. Right. I still have that ticket stuff. We were actually at a fair amount of shows at the same time. I I remember seeing you mm-hmm. at a couple of different shows uh, over the years in Boston. So Well, know. we also, I mean, brown people in New England <laughs> yeah. at, at shows in particular, I feel like it's always like, there's the other guy. So. <laughs> hey. <laughs> we do kind of stand out. My people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some people, I guess, kind of drift in and out of music, love, or whatever, but it sounds like it's something that's really kept you sustained for your entire life, and you're still, like, voracious about it. I am, and, and, and a lot of people my age have moved into bro country now because they can't listen to not modern music. I mean, mainly white people, I mean, right? right? But, you know, people who superficially enjoyed you know whatever top 40 stuff maybe five years ago now they're listening to luke bryant like god love him my brother-in-law he's a great guy but him and his whole family they love country music now and i'm just like i can't get behind it but but you know if if that brings them joy then 
good for them. I know a lot of people that just stopped, like they just, they'll listen to, they might be, love music, but they're the kind of guy who will call up uh, a radio station and ask to hear uh, Sweet Child of Mine for the 9,000th time. You know, like, <laughs> that time. Even though you can sing the entire song by heart. Right. Like, why do you need to hear that again? So I, I just have always looked for new stuff, you know, and it's the, it's never gotten boring for me. When it happened to my parents, too, my parents were more amazing, mainly my dad, but he used to be like big into like the Beatles and stuff when he was younger. But then like by the time I was probably like 12 or 13, they're listening to soft rock, you know, listening to like easy listening radio. <laughs> Engelbert Humperdinck and all that shit. I was like... The, the Carpenters? Yeah, you know, like I can sort of see some... Um, value in the carpenters like she was actually a good musician but but like some of the stuff like they would play on those stations you know it's just horrible <laughs> you know Feelings. yeah yeah it's music for people who want it something on in the background but aren't really listening and i've right. never been that person right are your daughters music fans yes they are my youngest she's been a big taylor swift fan and for years but now she's like Beatles fanatic. She just like obsessively got into the Beatles and I've been kind of introducing her to Bowie and she's a big Prince fan. And the thing is now with like Spotify, you can listen to anything. The world is yours. So if I'll tell her about something, she'll just voraciously listen to the entire catalog while she's doing her homework or something. So it's, it's pretty cool. I've, I've taken her to use record stores and gone crate digging and stuff. And she found that, that Beatles yesterday and today with the baby dolls, you know, that cover, like, which is, really? yeah, you know, it was, you, you know, used, that's, but yeah, that's a rare item. Yeah. She bought like the concert for Bangladesh box set. Like, yeah, she's into it. So we actually combined our vinyl. It's pretty cool. So it's giving me hope for the future of America, Jay. I think she's a rarity among her friends. She still likes the poppy stuff, but I got her a PJ Harvey album for Christmas. I was, you know, I'm like, check okay. this out. I think you'll like this. So it's fun to just kind of introduce. Like we watched um, Stop Making Sense during the pandemic when she got like huge into the talking heads. It's kind of fun to see kids kind of getting into stuff like that. Now, does that cultural exchange work the other way? Has there ever been uh, an instance where she's been like, Dad, listen to this, and you've been like, oh, shit. I will say I, I never listened to pop radio, but then I'd always make them listen to my stuff. But then when they got older, I was taking them to soccer games and stuff, and, and they would take over the radio. I love Bruno Mars. I like The Weeknd. It's funny. He's kind of polarizing. Like I'll tell people like I like The Weeknd. They're like, no, he sucks. I'm like, no, he doesn't suck. I'm like, I don't know. It you know, if you'd asked me that question five years ago, I might have been like, yeah, he sucks, and I'm coming around. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he's converted me to an extent. I mean, I can I think, like, superficially, people might think, oh, he's just kind of rip off Michael Jackson. But I feel like there's right. more to it than that. I mean, I don't have a whole catalog or anything. When I hear him, I like him. So, Yeah. And his music now is a lot more – seems like it's very directly – electronic 80s influence so it basically sounds like michael jackson singing over a human league record which i to me is perfect yeah i will say yeah Um, they have influenced me in that i've started listening to things that i previously totally ignored and i like some of it (laughs) i respect the fact that you're not a get off my lawn guy i think i was for a while but I, i think i'm a little more open to stuff now so i think that's good and does that extend out past music uh, a lot of the people that i speak to who have kids that are, are teenage early 20s and are just kind of thrown off usually in a good way but sometimes not always because 
culture and I, I don't want to say politics, I call it more, more so culture than politics. Mm-hmm. Things have changed so much from when we were kids in, in reference to things like gender yeah, and, yeah. you know, not just gender equality, but just the, the types of ways that you can classify or not classify yep. people based on yeah. gender and sexual orientation and ethnicity and all that stuff. Do they school you on that stuff as well? I mean, they, I don't know if it's schooling me on it. I mean, I'm certainly learning about it. I think they're just in it. That's just what they've grown up with. And they're cool and open. And, you know, I'm not like against anything. I'm, I'm a liberal guy. Some things are hard, harder for me to get a grip on than others. But I'm always been like, a, you know, live your life. You do you. So I'm never going to tell anybody how to how to do anything. I will always enjoy when like there's a commercial with like a gay couple or something, you know, and they kiss and I'm like, oh man, somebody in Iowa is losing their shit right now. <laughs> yeah, losing their ever-loving mind. <laughs> writing an oh email. Writing an email to the FCC my- right now. <laughs> you know what I You're saw. You're trying to make my TV. Give me the game. I always enjoy after the Super Bowl halftime show, like the FCC will release all the mail that they get. And when Maroon 5 played, somebody wrote in complaining that Adam Levine's nipples were offensive. <laughs> My child had to see his nipples. Like, that's what you took out of that? How about the music? <laughs> right. I, if your child has never seen nipples before and is actually able to discern a human on TV, yeah, something's wrong. <laughs> but, right. yeah, I, my kids, they're both smart kids and i'd like to think that i haven't been a typical narrow-minded father so they don't have to school me too much but there's definitely i don't know everything and you know i'm learning shit all the time so from them and from the world so work in progress right so as we all are yeah as we all are i wanted to to ask one one final question kind of going back to what you do for a living feels like journalism's a dying art well or or paid journalism is a dying art but one thing that technology has done it's is it's democratized a lot of things it's democratized music it's democratized journalism it's democratized so many things um what was it about journalism that fascinated you well at the time when I was in college, I, I went in as a chemical engineer because <laughs> that's what my dad oh. did. And I quickly okay. realized that that was a mistake. And that if I didn't figure something else out, I was going to flunk out of school. So this is about two, three months into my first semester. I was not doing well. And I, I had this epiphany in the middle of the night. I was thinking like, what the fuck else can I do? And I worked on the school paper in high school, which was, wasn't really a newspaper, but I was like, I'm good at writing i can try that you know basically just like said well i'm never going to be rich if i go this route i gotta be okay with not making big bucks and you know even then even then newspaper reporters weren't making a shitload of money at least compared to like engineers you come out with an engineering degree you know making big bucks right away but um i was like let's give it a shot. I'm good at it. I won't be miserable. I won't be sitting there trying to figure out calculus. You know, it was just too much. And also I was just miserable. I wasn't even partying that much. I was just working hard and not doing well anyway. So I decided to take another path and I liked writing. I had to get used to interviewing people and that's, that's hard. You got to talk to people. And if you're not cool with that, then it's not going to be a good job for you. So you do an internship, find out if you're good at that job 
And I remember I did an internship at the Peabody Times, which no longer exists, but like it was a daily newspaper in Peabody, Mass. And I got there and the, the guy who was there before me quit halfway through the semester because he couldn't take it. And he, was, and he was a friend of mine. He was a sports editor at the school paper at UNH where I was. And they were making him cover, you know, hard news stuff and he just couldn't deal. So he quit in the middle. So they were like bending over backwards, like, do whatever you want. You don't have to cover anything. <laughs> the editor was just like, please don't quit again because I'll look like an ass. Um, and I'm like, give me everything. I want to learn how to do this job. And I had a blast, you know, kind of after a few years, I kind of burned out on this. It was kind of a crazy lifestyle because in the morning I was covering, you know, the city council in PBD. So I'd have to cover meetings at night. So I'd leave for a couple hours, go cover some night meeting, go back to the office and write like three articles for the next day's paper, get home at like one in the morning. But after doing that for, you know, six years, I kind of burned out on it. I was looking for something with a little regular schedule. And that's where I ended up was kind of this uh, company that was doing newsletters and books for people working healthcare about regulations and stuff like that. And at first I was like, this is so boring. But then you find out what's interesting about it. And it's kind of funny for my job now, I'm actually doing two podcasts for for my job. So it's kind of... uh, Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm doing that for and actually getting paid for it, which I wasn't for many years. So <laughs> it's fun. I've met a lot of cool people through you know, working with them and people that I've met on the job, and it's done pretty well and got no regrets. So. Yeah, and it seems like it really does come down to cool people. Uh, yeah. I think that's why people like us get into doing these things because it's really interesting. People are interesting, particularly if they put their defenses down and allow themselves to become comfortable in the moment. I find every human that I speak to just has awesome stories and has an interesting life and has so much potential valuable knowledge to share. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's the cool thing about uh, journalism. Yeah. It kind of goes back to like why I started, you know, doing the podcast. And when I first started doing it, I was just me talking. And then I realized I want to talk to somebody else. I, I love talking to people. So, you know, Stuff like this is a lot of fun, and, and we don't get to do it enough. Big ups to Jay. Thank you so much for participating in this episode of the podcast. It was great reconnecting after all of these years. If you want to know more about Jay, you can go to the completely conspicuous website, uh, compcon.libsyn.com. There is also Jay's blog, which is at jayzkumar.blogspot.com. He hosts another show called Stuck in the Garage. That is the with two E's, and that show is based around music. You can find that on Mixcloud. And finally, oh, not finally, there's more. There's a couple more. You can find him at BFF.FM, where he does a show that is a San Francisco-based radio station. He mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast. And you can find him on Twitter at Coomdog, K-O-O-M-D-O-G-G, and you can see the uh, Great Gazoo helmet picture. It's not a full, you can't see the top of the head really, or the top of the hair. You can see the top of the head, but uh, the full hair isn't really apparent, but you get you get the gist. Anyway, once again, Jay, I really, really appreciate you being on and uh, hope we get to talk again. Thanks for listening to the Detoxicity Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph. Once again, if you want to find me online, hit me up on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy. I'm on Twitter intermittently at TizMikeJoseph. You can go to Facebook.com slash Detoxicity. You can email me 
detoxpod at gmail.com. Love to hear constructive criticism. Love to hear feedback. Would love if you are a potential guest or you know somebody who you think would be a potential guest, please, by all means, reach out to me. And remember, if you enjoy this podcast, subscribe, rate, comment, do all of the things necessary to push this podcast up in the podcast rankings and get this into as many ears as possible. Tell a friend, do whatever it is you need to do. And uh, thank you once again for listening. I personally want to thank the following people for their support. Calvin Williams, Jacob Block, Jeff Giles, and Andy Postman. Thank you very much. I hope all of you stay well, stay safe, and healthy. Until next time.